before I get rolling here. Um, I know I'm always encouraged when you hear a prayer report, so I'm going to give you a little prayer report and praise here. Uh, last Sunday for youth group, I was here, and just because of a variety of factors, I was shaking my head going, I wonder how this night is going to go. Um, with that, I just stepped back to my office and prayed just a very quick prayer and said, God, make something out of this because it just seems like it's going to be a little crazy tonight. Well, it was a little crazy that night. Uh, after uh, everything was done, I went back home, and a little later in the evening, I get a text message from one of the kids who is asking questions related to the message and related to how it fits in with their life. And so at that point, I was like, oh, okay. It got through. It was a good thing. So God was answering prayer. So that was just a good thing. Has nothing to do with the sermon, but I figured I would just share it to encourage you. Okay, on to the sermon. In January of 2015, I took a group of students from the church in Michigan to a winter retreat. Uh, if you're from Michigan, you'll know this, up north. Basically, up north means anything north of you in Michigan. It doesn't matter. Uh, this particular year, I happened to have more adult leaders than I really thought that I was even going to need. I think we had five or six of us there, and we really didn't need quite that many. Um, I had two who were nurses. Uh, one of those was a former student. I had another adult. I had a couple of uh, younger, just out of college age kids. A lot of people there to help work with this retreat. Well, we were at a camp that is probably one of the best in the nation uh, with its facilities, all the things that it has. Uh, one of the things that it has at a winter retreat in Michigan is a giant hill that you can come sliding down on a big old tube. And of course, they have the little magic carpet ride to take you back up to the top of the hill. So it is a fun, nice place to be. On Saturday, I think I was off over in the gym and my phone actually rings. Now, on a retreat, I don't expect my phone to ring because everybody knows I'm on the retreat, so who's going to call me? It was the camp, and the person on the other end of the line said, you need to get over to the tubing hill right away. You've had two of your people involved in an accident. And so I rush over to the tubing hill and come to find out that one of the students and one of the younger adult leaders was on the tubing hill, and near as I can figure, this is what happened. The younger adult leader came down the tubing hill, and just as he was trying to get up off of his tube, the student came down right behind him, hit him, and the um, adult leader went flying. The student wound up with a nasty headache, and the adult leader wound up with a broken cheekbone, and probably a mild concussion. Now, at that particular moment, there were a whole bunch of burdens that needed to be bear, born. Uh, Taryn, who was the younger adult leader, had to be taken to the hospital. The students at camp needed to be taken care of. The student who was in the accident needed to be taken care of. Taryn's family needed to be made aware of what happened. Uh, there was just a lot of things that had to happen all at one time. Now, this is when I realized this is why God brought me so many adult leaders all at the same time, two of whom were nurses. One of them came with me to the hospital to help attend to Taryn, and in fact, he did an awful lot of attention to Taryn himself in terms of uh, caring for him. 
The other nurse stayed back at the camp, and she is one that used to be a former student. She was back at camp, attended to the other student, and attended to the other kids because she knew how everything ran on the retreat. She knew how I liked things run on the retreat. All of those different factors. So she was... Uh, the right person to be there at that particular time. She took up that particular burden. Um, all of these things occurred on Saturday. So on Sunday, after we get back from the retreat, my first intention was I texted Taryn to see how he was doing. He had been moved from the hospital there to another hospital that could handle what happened to him. Uh, and so we texted back and forth a little bit just to encourage him. He told me what was going on with the doctors and so on. On Monday, I go into the hospital for hip replacement surgery. And I know you're all thinking, how can such a young, wonderful, good-looking guy possibly have hip replacement surgery? That's a story for a whole nother time. But uh, after I get out of surgery and get into my room and all of those kinds of things, my phone goes off and it's Taryn texting me saying, how did your surgery go? How is everything going? So here we are going back and forth, encouraging one another. The following Sunday, okay, I had made arrangements for someone else to preach because obviously I was not going to be in a position of preaching after having my hip replaced. So uh, I had made enough progress during the week that I was able to actually attend church to worship with my church family. Uh, obviously, I wouldn't be able to preach that Sunday and someone else is already ready to. Being Michigan, being January, on Saturday, we had six to eight inches of snow come down, and I'm supposed to try and get to church on Sunday. The folks that I asked to come pick me up brought their little crew with them, and they didn't just clear off the sidewalk, they didn't clear off a little path onto the driveway, they cleared everything. And they helped walk me from my door to the vehicle, they walked me from the vehicle into the church, etc., etc., making sure that I was safe and sound. Now, why am I telling you all of this? Here's why. I want you to see the number of burdens that were carried that particular day. God saw fit to supply the group with the people that he needed there who were going to take up all of those burdens. The two nurses, myself, calling parents, doing the things that need to be done, a person who had been there before, all of them taking up the burdens, the things that needed, needed, to, be, uh, needed to take place. The people who come to my house to help uh, open up the, the driveway, help get me to church, all of these different burdens needed to be handled, and there were so many people all lined up to take care of all of these burdens. So today, that is what we're going to wind up talking about, is carrying each other's burdens. We're going to be looking at Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, and the focus of the passage is restoration, but the foundation of the passage is carrying each other's burdens. So if you'll read with me, it should be on the screen, Galatians chapter 6, I think I may have said 5, Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted." 
carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions, and then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Now again, very first thing out of the gate, the focus of this passage is restoration. So we're going to walk through this just a little bit. Paul begins by trying to get their attention, calling them brothers, brothers and sisters, okay? And you can hear Paul using his teacher voice at this particular moment because he's trying to get their attention. We have enough teachers, enough retired teachers. You all know what the teacher voice sounds like. So you can hear Paul saying this. Instead of boys and girls, it's brothers and sisters, all right? Don't think preacher voice when you hear brothers and sisters. Think teacher voice when you hear that. By calling them brothers and sisters, he is assuming that they are already living by the Spirit, that they are the spiritual ones that he's about to talk about in these verses. Paul just wrote a very famous passage in Galatians chapter 5. He wrote about the fruit of the Spirit and how we are to be controlled by the Spirit. So now he's going into this talking to the spiritual ones and what they need to do. And what he winds up doing is acknowledging a simple fact that even though they are brothers and sisters, even though they are spiritual, they have been saved, they are a part of the Christian family, sometimes we fall into sin. Um, Paul is likely referring back again to chapter 5 to the works of the flesh that he listed out before the works of the Holy Spirit. But what I want to point out is that even though we have been reconciled to God, even though we have been made holy, we have become children of God, we are chosen, we are blameless before God, that is the position God has put us in when we come to faith in Christ, we still live in a fallen world and we still battle with sin, battle with temptations. Now, the word for caught in verse 1 means to be overtaken or to be surprised. So it's not some sort of a sin that they already had in mind that they were going to go after and go do. It was a sin that kind of creeps up on them from out of nowhere. So Paul's directive is to restore this person that falls into sin. However, the emphasis is not on that you restore the person to sin. It is, the emphasis is on how you restore the person to sin. And the NIV uses a word, it says, restore that person gently. Not a bad word, actually. But what it does is it hides a little bit of the play on words that Paul is now doing. The exact phrase that Paul uses is, restore such a one in the spirit of humility. And Again, what Paul seems to be alluding back to when he uses in the spirit of humility is the fruits of the spirit and that whole conversation that he had in chapter five. It was meant to call to mind all of those things that he listed off as the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's what he's trying to bring back to memory. And I think Paul had all of these in the back of his mind as he was writing this. But he also directs that the spiritual are, or excuse me, directs it to be the spiritual that are involved in restoration. 
And while each person that has placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Savior is spiritual, they have been made holy because of the righteousness of Jesus. When Paul talks about the spiritual, he probably has in mind people that are truly living up to that holiness as displayed by the fruit of the Spirit in their life. So you're able to see their faith, you're able to see that spiritual nature in them because of what they're doing. Now, Paul is also concerned that the spiritual could also fall into temptation. And many times commentators uh, tend to think that when he says, be careful, so you don't fall into temptation, so you are not tempted yourself. They tend to think that uh, they're talking about don't commit the same sin as what this person is doing. You're trying to help this person and they have fallen into sin. Be careful, you're gonna fall into the same sin. But in some senses, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. If I'm trying to restore a brother over here who has cheated on his wife and I'm going up to them, I have a loving marriage, I have a good relationship, everything's fine. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense that if I'm going over here to help restore this brother that suddenly I'm gonna stop loving my wife and suddenly we're not gonna have a good relationship. So that's probably not what Paul was referring to. I think what Paul is doing is he's taking a wider look at the whole context, which is why we always talk about context in church. Paul is looking back into chapter five which, by the way, you all know chapter divisions are man-made. They're not God-made. Chapter 5, verse 26, he says this, let's not become conceited, provoking and envying, uh, provoking and envying each other. Then a couple verses later, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul says, if anyone thinks that he is nothing, or excuse me, thinks that he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself, each one should test his own actions, then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. So on both sides of Paul's instruction to restore, he is concerned that we are going to be tempted to compare ourselves to a brother or sister that has fallen into sin. And uh, quite honestly, uh, the sin that I think Paul's telling them to avoid is pride, right? because we are now comparing ourselves to this brother or sister that's fallen into sin. And I don't know about you, but I don't need someone to sin for me to be comparing myself to them. We play the comparison game an awful lot. You know what? I'm at church more than that person, so I must love Jesus more. Or they serve in two ministries and I serve in three ministries, so I must be doing it better. Or they can quote the 23rd Psalm, all six verses, I can quote Psalm 119, all 150 verses, okay? We find ways to compare ourselves to others. But when you throw the issue of sin into the mix, it becomes that much easier to compare yourself to others and how you are doing. You know what, I never cheated on my taxes. I don't have problems with bursting out in anger like that guy does. You know, I'm not as materialistic. You see all the stuff that they've got? I'm not as materialistic as those folks are. I didn't let creative words come out of my mouth when I stubbed my toe, like that guy. Right? We find ways to compare ourselves to others. It is far too easy to come up with all the ways 
that we are higher, we are better, and they somehow have fallen down below us. Now, going to turn the corner on the passage because that is the focus of the passage. It's all about restoring the brother. However, the foundation of the passage is in one verse and it's kind of stuck in the middle. It's a little odd. Um, The foundation of the, the passage is carrying each other's burdens. So verse two, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This was a verse uh, that God was really putting on my heart as I was preparing this sermon, trying to come up with what I was going to say. This is the one that kept coming back to mind. But when I read through the passage, I'm going, okay, this verse clearly refers to people who are being asked to restore brother or sister to to, uh, coming out of sin. That's the context. But as I dug a little deeper, because I was beginning to worry, I had been taking this verse out of context for years. I dug a little deeper and then I began to realize what Paul was doing. Paul has an example of what carrying each other's burdens looks like sandwiched on both sides of what his actual directive is. His directive is we are supposed to be fulfilling the law of Christ by carrying each other's burdens, which shows itself by restoring a brother when they sin. Verse two really is the basis for why you restore someone who is caught in sin. The action itself is carrying each other's burdens. So Paul is saying that when you help restore someone caught in sin, you are helping to carry that person's burdens with them and for them. Because sin is the burden. And we enter that person's life to help them find their way back to restoration. And by the way, What does restoration look like? Uh, It's going to look different in every set of circumstances, so it's not going to be able to say one size fits all. But there are going to be some commonalities to what happens when you are restoring a brother or sister. And the first thing that should happen is prayer. Uh, Do not ever enter a conversation about restoration without first going to prayer because it's the Holy Spirit that needs to convict, and it's the Holy Spirit that needs to move that person to changing their life. Now, it could also mean, you start with prayer, but it could also mean confrontation. Could mean telling a person that you see something is off in their life, or that you have seen or heard that there is a sin taking place in their life that you are aware of. Also definitely means uh, movement of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that is what's going to help bring confession. But it also means reminding them of the gospel and how it applies to them as a believer. Because a lot of times we think the gospel is the person, we send that out to people who need to know Jesus out there in the world, but we as believers don't need the gospel any longer. And that is not correct. Here's what happens. You need to remind the person that they have been forgiven. Their sin has been forgiven by God. We still stumble in a world full of sin, but our sin is forgiven. God is gracious. His mercies are new every single morning, and that applies to us as well. And we have been adopted into the family. God is our father, and he is a very loving father at that. He does not kick us out of the family simply because we sin. And we often need to be reminded of God's grace in this way when we as believers stumble into sin. 
Now, the action of carrying each other's burdens uh, is, excuse me, the action is carrying each other's burdens, but the reason that we do it is that it fulfills the law of Christ. And scholars are split on what the law of Christ really means, what it is, because this is the only place in scripture that it actually uses those, those words. Many people think that it refers back to Galatians chapter five, verse 14. And it says this, the entire law is summed up in a single command. Love your neighbor as yourself. So many people think that the law is talking about love. And that makes sense because that's what Jesus just said. Love your neighbor as yourself and you are fulfilling the law. But other people think that what, uh, what Paul has in mind uh, is Jesus' ethical teachings. And they think that because of the phrase law of Christ is being contrast with the law of Moses. And the Galatian church had a big problem with the law of Moses because there were people coming into the Galatian church trying to point Christians who are following Jesus and saying, hey, it's great that you're following Jesus, but you need to go back and you need to follow the law too. And Paul's saying, no, you don't. Uh, so people think that maybe that's what Paul is doing is contrasting the law of Christ versus the law of Moses. Reality is it may not be too far from the truth to say that he had kind of both things in mind. Carrying each other's burdens means loving that person, loving your neighbor, but loving your neighbor also means fulfilling the law of Christ. If carrying each other's burdens is a command, which it is, in Greek, there, it, that's the way it's written. There's no way for us as children of God to escape that. That is what we're supposed to do. Then carrying each other's burdens uh, is a command within the law of Christ. Now, that's all the groundwork from where I want us to go today. So now we're going to head somewhere a little different. This is the thing that God has really placed on my heart. Um, it comes from a whole lot of conversations with people uh, in not too distant past, from articles that I've come across, and guess what, even from my own life too. So we're gonna look at this verse as a command to carry each other's burdens. And before we dig into this, I'm gonna tell you, I see so many of us doing great at this particular command. Because I have heard of people who are volunteering to help friends, neighbors, to help keep up on their household chores so that somebody can go attend to the, someone who's sick. People in our church are amazing at providing meals for the sick, for the injured, for the grieving people in our church and in our community. I watch people take time, which is sometimes a bigger commodity than money, uh, and they build relationships with people. They talk with people to help them grow and help them process maybe events, situations, things that are going on in their life. While there are always more burdens in which we can carry, uh, ways in which we can carry each other's burdens, and I know that most of us do a very admirable job with it, many of us are good at being burden bearers, but I think we are often not so good at being burden sharers. So that's the main thing I want to talk to you about is how to be a burden. And I don't know about you, but that statement probably rubbed you a little bit the wrong way because I know it rubbed me a little bit the wrong way when I read it back on my own paper. Uh, I don't want to be a burden. 
I didn't want to be a burden to my mom when she had to come up and take care of me when I had my surgery, right? I didn't want to be driven down to my mom's house in southern Indiana because I didn't want to be a burden on people. I didn't want to be a burden for people having to come and shovel my driveway. I'm like, there, surely there's a way for me to hold my cane and the shovel at the same time and do this. Don't bother coming, all right? I didn't want to be a burden, and here's the big one, and I think this is the one for most of us. Don't want to be a burden to share my internal struggles, my problems, the burdens that I have with someone really at all. Everybody identifying with some of this stuff that I'm saying? Am I the only person here? Okay, I get a few smiles and nods. We're happy to help bear the burden. We just don't want to be the burden. And we all know what the burdens of life are. We've talked about these things many times in the past. In context of the chapter, the burden is sin. And while our sins may not be known to friends or family or anyone, we still bear that burden of sin. We know how it feels to do something wrong and feel the guilt that comes with it. And it can be a heavy burden, especially if it's a sin that maybe we have dealt with for a long time or something that seems to creep back up in our lives and we don't like that. It can be a very difficult burden to bear. But we also know the pressures of life. Uh, we have events and schedules and all those kinds of things that seem out of control. You've got pressures and burdens surrounding work. The boss is pressuring you. Your client is a jerk. You have a coworker that if they annoy you just one more time, you think you're gonna snap. Uh, you think, I feel just like this job is no longer for me. What am I going to do? Where am I gonna go if I leave this particular position? We all know those kinds of pressures and burdens. We've got the burdens of relationships. No doubt that you are burdened for your children, how they're gonna be raised, that they come to know Christ as their savior, or maybe you've got kids that you are wanting to draw them back to Christ so that they are growing in their relationship with God. You've got a burden for a broken relationship. You've got a burden for your spouse or maybe your parents who are getting a little older and you've gotta make certain decisions regarding what's gonna take place. Some of you may have burdens of shame. Maybe you feel you've done something that you can't really forgive yourself for, or nobody else is certainly gonna forgive you for it. Or maybe something was done to you that you feel like, you feel the shame, you feel the guilt, you feel like it's your fault, even when it's not. Maybe one of the hardest burdens that we bear is a burden of finances. And I say that because most of us feel like I should be able to support myself. I don't wanna have to ask people for money. I don't want to have to ask for help with a bill, all right? I should be able to put food on the table without having to worry about these things. It can be a humbling experience when you have to do that. So you got burdens, um, and we know that we really should be sharing them with other people, but somehow we just don't. So we want, or I want to propose a few reasons why we don't share our burdens. I feel like, um, our burdens, or excuse me, we feel like our burdens are not that big of a deal, so why am I gonna share them? You know what, other people have bigger issues than I do. I don't wanna be a burden on anyone else with my little thing, so it's not that big of a deal. Anybody ever think that way? Because I know I have. 
I'm just going through a small little rough patch. You know what? Tom over here, he has a close family member pass away. He broke his leg and his garage is on fire. He's got much bigger issues than I do. And so I'm not going to share my little issues when he's going through such a difficult time. The second thing we sometimes feel, we feel like we're going to overwhelm other people. Like, you don't understand, I've got so much going on right now, I don't want anyone to feel like I'm just dumping all my problems on them. I've done that before, right? Been so overwhelmed myself that I felt like I don't want to be a burden to somebody else, so I'm just going to hold on to these things and not share them. They've got their own problems, right? And now I'm just going to be creating more problems for them. I'm going to have this verbal eruption all over them with my problems, and that's too much for them to handle. How about this one? I'm embarrassed because I even have problems, right? Everybody looks at me and they think I've got it all together. If I share that I'm not all together, they're going to know and they're going to think less of me or differently about me. Or they're just scared to be vulnerable. It's embarrassing. You know what, if I talk about this particular thing, then that means I'm going to have to admit this, some particular issue that you wanted to keep under wraps. If I say that I'm having financial problems, it doesn't matter that they were brought about by a tidal wave of other bills and things that were unanticipated, the things that I couldn't control. If I say that I have those problems, I have to admit that I'm in need, and people don't need to know that I'm in need. I don't want to talk about my marriage problems because then people are going to know that I have marriage problems, right? We don't want those things out there. Now, you're probably not going to want to hear the next thing I'm going to say. But I'm going to say it anyway because number one, God commanded me to. Number two, I love you and that's my job to let you know these kinds of things, okay? Y'all ready? Sit back, get your toes ready because I'm going to step on them. All of those things that I just mentioned have one thing in common. They're all based in pride. Now, some of you are thinking, no, wait a second. I just don't want to be a burden because my problems are really not that big. You know what? That's a false sense of humility. You still have burdens, right? It may be true that other persons, someone else's burdens may be larger. They may have more going on, but you still have burdens, so you can still share those. You know what? I'm just looking out for other people because I don't want to overwhelm those people. No, you're not. You are looking for a way out of having to share your own burdens. Now, it might be true you shouldn't share burdens with someone who's as stressed out as you are, but you still need to share those things. And most of us get, if we're just embarrassed to even have problems, that's a sense of pride. If we're too embarrassed about what our problems are, we don't want to be vulnerable, again, that's a sense of pride coming up. And it's not easy to look at these things when you break them down like that. Because we go, these really aren't reasons, they're excuses. Y'all know there's a difference, right? Reason is legit. There's things that actually took place. An excuse is trying to sound like you have a reason, but it really isn't. We think we're holding on to our burdens for our good, 
and for healthy reasons, but the reality is that when we hold on to those burdens, it is absolutely unhealthy for us. So before I move on from this, let me say that if it were at all possible for me to be sitting right there and be standing right here at the same time, I would because I need to hear what I'm saying just as much as anybody who's hearing my voice at this moment. It's not like I haven't used some of these excuses myself. Now, we've removed excuses for burden, uh, for being a burden, but how does it impact other people when we do this? When we refuse to share our burdens, how is that impacting the rest of the life of the church, the people who are around us? Well, first thing it does, it removes the ability to be the supportive community God has called us to be and designed us to be. According to the article by Christine Gordon and Hope Blanton entitled, God Wants You to Be a Burden, we are created to be interdependent. We are not, or excuse me, we are not only created to be dependent on him, We grow up learning that. We're told that all the time in church. You need to depend on God. You need to rely on God. And that is absolutely true. We have books. We have seminars. We have all these different things to teach us to rely on God. But somehow, because of that, it overshadows the fact that God created us to be dependent on each other. Let me show you a little slide graphic here that's going to pop up on the screen. There it is. Um... This is what they would call the one another's out of scripture. Uh, There are a whole bunch of them. But can you guess which one is the most repeated on there? Love one another. That's the top one. In scripture, that's the one that is repeated the most. And that's what Galatians 5 and 6 are revolving around. But the other top one another's, encourage one another, greet one another, be humble, live in peace, do good, build up, pray for each other, and then there's a whole ton of other little ones in there that you probably can't read from where you're at. This is the reason why I show this to you. This is what God created us to do. That's why he says over and over again, love one another, encourage one another. We are designed to do that as the church. Christ instituted the church He died for the church. He calls the church his bride. He envisioned the church. He gave commands to the church on how the church is supposed to function. So when we see this, we know how we're supposed to function. That's what we're supposed to do for each other. When you read all those different ways, it points to the same thing. We were designed to be interdependent with each other. That is the way God designed us, so we will, or excuse me, so we need to allow ourselves to be interdependent by sharing those burdens so that others can carry the burdens with us. Again, according to uh, Courtney Maselli, in an article in Science Magazine, a single strand of spider silk is thinner than human hair, but five times stronger than uh, steel of the same width. A spider silk rope just two inches thick could reportedly, and I'll take her word for it because I'm not a science guy, could reportedly stop a Boeing 747. On its own, it could do little, but bound together with other strands and rope, it has awesome strength. 
You all know where I'm going with this, right? Single strands in the body of Christ can only do so much. But when we band together in interdependence, we can be a force stronger than we ever imagined ourselves to be. Second way that we shortchange others when we don't share our burdens, when others are impacted, we shortchange our brothers and sisters in Christ themselves. Because God has given each and every person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he has given them a spiritual gift to be used to build up the body of Christ. When we refuse to share our burdens, the body of Christ actually gets a little bit weaker because the body of Christ is not able to flex its spiritual gift muscles. So, look at it this way. People with the gift of administration or giving, they can use their gifts to help in moments of financial burden. People with the gift of discernment can help see things in our lives that make us stronger, maybe sins that are coming our way, and they can help with those burdens. People with the gift of encouragement can come alongside someone who is hurting, who is facing all kinds of different difficulties and burdens in their life, and they can lift their spirits in a way that no one else can. Someone who has the gift of helping, uh, they are not feeling burdened or overwhelmed when uh, you have a need for your yard to be mowed or something to be moved, something to be rebuilt, something to be fixed. They are not burdened by that. In fact, they live for those things. I could go on and on through all the spiritual gifts. There are people in the body of Christ who enjoy those things. They even pray for opportunities to be able to use their spiritual gifts for other people. When we refuse to share our burdens, these people are going underutilized. And in reality, both you and they are missing out on the opportunity of serving and of being served, missing out on that joy. The third way that sometimes we... Uh, um, not sharing our burdens hurts others around us. It denies our brothers and sisters the ability to fulfill the law of Christ. Now, each of us has been commanded to fulfill the law of Christ. What happens when we refuse to share our burdens is our brothers and sisters around us, and even we ourselves, are missing out on having, again, that joy that comes from knowing that we are doing what God has asked us to do. We are fulfilling the law of Christ. Now, this one could get real heavy-handed real fast because I could be standing here pounding the pulpit trying to make you feel guilty that you're not allowing people to fulfill the law of Christ. That's not the point. The point is that all of us would say, you know what, I want to fulfill Christ's law. One of the ways that that is done is through the sharing of burdens. So it's logically concluded that someone has to go first to share the burden. Otherwise, we shortchange that whole scenario. But I don't want to leave this on a negative note. So I'm going to circle back around to what the law of Christ is all about. The law that we are wanting to see fulfilled is summed up in what Jesus told us. Love your neighbor as yourself. To be in a loving relationship assumes reciprocity. It is a two-way street we are usually great at loving others when they dare to share. We struggle allowing ourselves to be loved because sharing is daring. 
If we truly want to see the church of Christ expressed in this local body of believers, we need to embrace the reciprocity of love. So I know most, uh, most sermons based out of Galatians chapter 6 focus on restoration, which is the outworking of the fulfilling of Christ's law by carrying other people's burdens. Or the sermons focus on how we can carry each other's burdens. But what I find in Christ's church, in Faith Bible Church, in each of us sitting and listening to this sermon today, and especially the good-looking guy behind the pulpit right now, we love to help with burdens, but we struggle to be the burden. And the only way the church can be the church, the only way that we can fulfill Christ's law, the only way burdens can be carried is for one of us and each of us to dare to be the burden when it is needed. So that's where I'm going to leave you. Dare to share. Dare to step out and allow the body of Christ to do its job and surround you with the love that God has called us to. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for, um, for how you guide us and how you direct us. Thank you for the ways in which um, you have asked us to serve each other. Lord, you have asked us to be able to carry each other's burdens. You have even equipped us to be able to carry each other's burdens. Now, Lord, help humble each of us to be able to share our burdens so that the church can be built up, so that the church can be stronger, so that all of the needs are getting met simply because we push excuses aside and we say, you know what, I'm going to help fulfill the law of Christ by being open about the things that I might need. Lord, help, uh, help teach us to be the burden so that the body of Christ can grow. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.